hope this has been a wonderful hour spent with Ryan, who is what I would say a very, very authentic person doing a wonderful job to bring messages out in the world for other people to grow from. All the other speakers, what I've said today will speak for itself. You don't have to reiterate it. It is what it is. And those that want to follow something that was said today have the right to do so because nobody should tell anybody else what to do or how to live. So this has been a real pleasure speaking on this podcast. Welcome to the World of Speakers podcast brought to you by Speaker Hub. In each episode, we interview a professional speaker and reveal their very best tips and tricks. You'll learn to improve your presentation skills, keep your audience engaged, and learn how to grow your business to get more gigs and make more money. Here's your host, Ryan Foland. Ahoy, hello, bonjour, buenos dias, anybody and everyone who is listening to another episode here of the World of Speakers podcast. Today, I'm excited because we're speaking with a speaker who speaks about a topic that's very important, very important for you, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year. Now, I have Michael Levy, and he is the author of 16 different books that all have to do with the practical philosophy of everyday living. So we're going to be learning about him, some of his particular tips when it comes to speaking and hopefully life and practical living as well as how he's been able to get more and more traction to spread his message. So let's kick this off. Michael, how are you today? Doing great, Ryan, and it's a pleasure to meet you on this podcast. Yes, absolutely. Well, I like to start the show, instead of reading a long bio that has all of your accolades, I want to hear a story. So what is a story from your past? You can go way back to a child or to an adolescent or a teen or college or even something that happened yesterday. But if that story was the only thing that I had to describe you to somebody who had not met you, and ideally it would be a story that they would get to know you for who you are and what you're all about. Can you think of a story that represents who you are? Yeah, well, I grew up in Manchester, England, in a corner row house with no running hot water. So we had no bathroom. So you had to have a tin bath by the fire maybe once a month. Oh, wow. My toilet. And that was my palace for 19 years. It was um, what you call today an urban slum, but nobody ever told me I was poor. That never okay. the, equa- the equation. So I grew up in those circumstances and I left school at 16, told the teacher I had to have a Rolls Royce by the time I was 26. I was kind of had holes in my shoes at the time. Right. He told me to dream on Michael, he said. Those were his words. So I did dream on, but put the dreams into practice. And I got my first Rolls Royce at 28 years of age. Nice. And then I went from street markets, which I I started my own business at 19, selling cloth remnants. It went into the wholesale textiles and it became very successful. And the more people tried to push me down and tried to do different things, the more success I was getting because it released a spring inside me. And when it released that spring, it allowed me to go to higher levels that I wouldn't have got to had they not tried to pull me down. So I thank all the people who tried to pull me into the gutter because without them, I might have been ended up in the gutter. (laughs) But at 46 years of age, I um, decided I had enough of what I was doing. The fun kind of went out of it and I always follow my joy and my bliss. So I had an opportunity to come over to the States to meet a friend who had come out here. And uh, over a period of time, I got used to the American way of living. And in 92, I came over full time and I took six years of time out. And I sat on the balcony, looking up to the heavens and the stars. I live on the ocean, asking very profound questions about the meaning of life. And I continued to ask these questions almost Every moment for that six years, even when I was playing golf, when I was playing bridge, thoughts were coming into my head. And the ones that I didn't kind of think were real and weren't livable, I dismissed them. And after six years, I thought, what am I going to do with these thoughts now? I've kind of developed some kind of philosophy that I've been living and 
that um, got me to where I am today or what I'm going to do with it. So um, for another six months, it was like a dichotomy. On one side, it said, why didn't you write it down and see what you can do, maybe even write a book. On the other side, I said, forget it. You can't spell. You'll have score 16. No one's ever going to read them. So the dichotomy was next going to and fro. And I made a vow after six months. I bought a computer before that, at the beginning of about six months. And I started to do research, what the sages of the past had said, going back from early history. And I found there was a correlation between the philosophy that I'd come up with and science and religion. It kind of built a bridge between the two. But it was a practical bridge. It wasn't an analytical bridge. And that's what made the difference. So I made a vow never to advertise, never to actually use PR, but wait for people to contact me like you did, Ryan. Yeah. And then I can then relate to them what I've learned in my life, how I've been successful by doing it. And over the past probably 20 years, I've written 16 books and uh, I've been published all over the world and many websites. I've also many journals, Royal College of Psychiatry. I've published to me 12 times in their journals. My poetry also, I became a poet, and that's been published all over the world too. So I made a niche for myself without actually trying to have to convince anybody of anything. When people approach me, I'm more than willing to do what I can do to fulfill whatever they're asking of me. And that's what I do as a speaker. When people contact me and they want me to speak at an event or something, that's what I'll do once I find out who's at the event and what's going to contain. But I can tell you, I reject over 90% because I need, hmm. need it's got to be authentic and it's got to be real. And, um, if it's just kind of a flim flam kind of thing that you get in most of the media today, I'm not interested in doing anything like that. Well, my new favorite two words are flim flum, by the way. <laughs> so what I'm curious about is this idea of really marketing without marketing, creating this own niche, waiting for people to come to you. It's almost the opposite of what maybe I would I wouldn't go so far as saying common sense, but I would say common sense if you've been paying attention to what everybody else is saying. And so it's more like group think maybe. Yeah, it's, got, it's a very good way to analyze um, what I just said. Excellent. And the basic thing is this. If I copy everybody else of what they're doing, the way they're promoting with the media and social media. I am on Twitter, by the way. I do, I do Twitter. I've got 300,000 people that follow me on Twitter by default. But I didn't try looking for that. I just did it, started when it first started, just by putting a few original quotes out each day for people. That's all, yeah. I, that's all I do on it, just put original quotes and maybe a few thoughts about the stock market. So basically, everybody else was doing it in a certain way and still do it in a certain way. Well, same as my books. If I write books that are already out there and they're similar to books that people read for self-help from all the, what you call the gurus out there, then what's the point of me writing it? It's already out there. And what's the point of me giving a speak as a, as a speaker when other lecturers who are more, far more educated than I am maybe be able to put over a story in a way that people want to hear it? But with my philosophy and what I have to say, it's basically original and it's something that people need to hear, but sometimes they might not want to hear it. So people might not want to read my books, like maybe when Van Gogh was doing his paintings, a lot of people didn't want to look at any of his paintings. Maybe it took 100 years or more after his death before it became popular. Hmm. And now his paintings sell for millions, hundreds of millions. So if you want to be authentic in your life, you can't follow the herd. You've got to break new ground. You've got to take the path least traveled. Once you start doing that and people start to realize, hey, maybe we can learn something from this guy. Maybe there's something there that we can learn from that can enhance our life. Maybe I can find a better way to eat. 
Maybe I can find a better way to invest my money. Maybe I can find a better way to start up a business and run a, a business without taking a loan. There's all ways that people can learn if they want to on that practical way of doing something. Now, going further than that, more important than anything is to find the joy of the day, to cap DM, to seize the day. And if we can't seize the day, and if we allow the day to seize us, then we're trapped in a vacuum of everybody else who are doing the same thing. We're just going down the same route and we're at the back of the herd. So basically, if you want to be a leader in life and you want people to enhance their lives and you're not doing it for personal gain and you're not doing it for monetary gain, and that's me, I don't do it for monetary gain, that's not my intent at all. Then that's why I don't do it in the what you call the business-like way, the common sense, if you will. Right. But I do it in the natural way. And there's two ways to live our life. Today you can live normally, as most people do, and you see all the normal headlines in the newspapers and everything that's going on in the normal world. Or you can revert back to being natural, how nature intended you to live on Earth which our founding fathers going back from the first footsteps on earth when we evolved and were created or we were created and evolved from where we came from. We had to be authentic to get to where we are today because if we weren't, then the human race would have wiped out a long time ago. So lots of our ancestors along the path did many things that were authentic to allow us to live the life we've got today. And we don't get encaptured by high technology or the other stuff that takes away the joy of the moment. The joy is paramount and is our yardstick to living a successful life. Joy means, J-O-Y, just obey yourself. Your authentic self that was around before you were born, that will be around while you're living here on Earth, in your human form while you're doing your role plays and we'll be around whenever these role plays disappear and we leave this mortal coil. We'll still be around in our true form. And it's a shame that people don't realize that and can't live it while they're living a human experience because they're living just by what they think they know. And unfortunately, the majority of people on earth today will never get to know what they need to know. Mike, drop, buddy. I dig it. So I've got a couple notes here I want to I circle back to. Right. You talked about common sense. And then I think you said on accident, non-common sense. And I really like that as maybe your 17th book, right? Non-common sense. And when we grow up in a certain environment, whether it's with or without water or hot water, right? Yeah. I mean, we are shaped by those experiences. And at a certain point, you then have the feeling of autonomy where you're out on your own, whether it's 16 selling scraps of, of excess material, or if you're with your parents, even into your 30s, it's, it's your environment that creates this common understanding the way that you see it. But you're really challenging people to look the opposite way and make it a non-common sense. So I'm assuming that when it comes to the topic of speaking, there's very much common sense of advice out there, which is, you know, enunciate and use your voice and use your body language and, and use pauses and use storytelling. For me, I'm now thinking of everything in this lens of common sense versus non-common sense. So I'm actually intrigued to know what the non-common sense speaking tips would be. From a practical sense, you've kind of talked in a holistic about the philosophy of, of everyday living, but when it comes to speaking, is there anything unconventional or non-common that you do when you're on stage or, or when you're communicating with people about these different messages to rattle their cages? Yeah, absolutely. Number one is be an authentic speaker, be credible. you got to live a credible life. And you've got to speak about it from the experiences that you've had and how you've changed 
from where you were brought up and how people try to indoctrinate your mind to and even how your own mind has been indoctrinated and how you've overcome that. So, number one, you need clarity of voice. Number two, you need to be original. You've got to be authentic in what you're doing. You've got to be truthful when you deliver your words. Your words have got to contain wisdom. If they're not containing wisdom and they're only just reciting learnt texts from education, then that isn't an authentic talker. I can relate to, say, the maestro who comes into an orchestra. The orchestra is reading the music sheets and the conductor is. But the maestro comes in and doesn't read music. If you take someone like Yitzhak Perlman playing the violin, he's the maestro that will join the orchestra and his eyes are closed while he's playing. He's hearing what he's playing. Those were his words. He hears what he plays and he enjoys what he's playing and he plays like nobody else. He's a maestro. So the maestro is doing it and the orchestra is following him. When a speaker comes in and speaks, they've got to take the stage as a maestro. They've got to be the one that's going to tell people in a way that's not been told before the stories that they need to hear in the subject matter that they're talking about. If it's a destination speaker, then it's got to be something very different to the destination speakers. If it's somebody talking about the stock market, he's got to relate in a very practical way how people can invest their money safely in every environment and how they can invest with their genius that they were born with. And we're all born with a genius. That was one of my early books on the stock market, which was Invest with a Genius. And talking about non-practicality, all my books contain this, what you call non-practicality that is very practical. You see, everything is a reverse process, a mirror image for how we see it to be. What we think is practical doesn't get the right results for most people. Because if people just got it by logic and reason, everybody would be multimillionaires, everybody would get everything right, and the logic and reason would work for itself. But it doesn't work that way, does it? Right. We just don't get that in life. So we've got to find a method that contains authentic information on a continuing basis, because life's changing every minute we're on Earth. So it can't be rigid, it can't be fixed, yet it's got to be changing, but it's got to have reference points within the philosophy that can change our conditioning of, say, how I've been brought up and the things that were going on. It's got to change that into a way that we need to relate to. Understand, if people live with a negative mind, we'll always find a problem with every solution. So solutions are there for us once we connect to the genius within us that has got all the answers. And then it takes research and understanding to do that. So when you're coming out as a speaker, you don't go and rehearse what you're going to be saying, especially on my subject matter. You've got to already be within the zone. So you allow the talk that comes through your head to come through your voice and you're listening to it. So I'm listening to what I'm saying now. None of it is rehearsed and I'm enjoying every minute of it. It's not a rehearsed speech. It's not contrived like you get on television. I've refused lots of TV shows. I could have done a PBS show a long time ago, but they wanted me to rehearse it and give them exact details of what I'm going to be saying. I said, I can't do that. That's not what my philosophy is about. We don't reverse our lives. So when I come and give a talk to people, I find out who I'm giving the talk to, if I accept it, and then I will talk to the room and the people that are in that room. I look at all the faces in the room and I'll try not to be too controversial. The thing is, when you're talking about my subject matter, People have got all different types of belief systems, from atheism, extreme atheism, to strong religious beliefs. Now, if people are dogmatic, what I will say is, that's when I won't take a, um, an assignment on. Because when people are dogmatic, they really don't want to listen to what I'm going to be saying, and they should not be reading my books. A dogmatic person wouldn't gain anything from reading my books. 
for a person who's open-minded, one that actually wants to improve their life, will gain a great deal of wisdom from them. And you notice I didn't say knowledge. Mm-hmm. Gain a great deal of wisdom. They can get knowledge from universities and textbooks and everything like that. My books don't contain that type of knowledge. It contains a wisdom knowledge, which is practical in everyday living. So it's a practical philosophy put over in an impractical way that most people will find strange to begin with and same with my talks. Well, I can only tell you at the end of my talks, I always get standing ovations and people from all walks of life come up to me afterwards and say how enamored they were with it and how it's exactly what they needed to hear in their life and they've never heard it before. I had a Princeton professor of 82 when I was giving a talk, came up to me afterwards. He says, you related to me what I always thought while I was in the educational system and while I've been living my life. And he lost a son in the Six-Day War in Israel. And he says to me, I just want to tell you, you put me at peace with myself. You put me at ease with myself. And my whole life now will take on a new vista. So that was just one guy out of thousands that I've heard from over the years that have said it's helped them to get to where they need to be to live the rest of their life in a joyful state of mind. Wow. Okay, so there's a lot to unpack here. And first of all, I appreciate the non-conventional wisdom that you are bestowing upon us here. And I will speak for myself and on behalf of all of our listeners as well. I want to go through some of these elements and I've got some particular questions that, that I, I want to, I'm really interested to see where you go with. So the first thing you talked about was credibility and the common sense for credibility is a banner that says you've been featured in Forbes, featured an entrepreneur, featured in this magazine, featured on this stage, worked with these companies, that kind of material. But your definition that I heard you say about credibility had nothing to do with that. It wasn't the common sense. And what I heard was that it was the stories of your past, the holes in your shoes, the struggles that you made of your personal story and how you've overcome them and what you've learned from it. So to be clear, the common sense of credibility that is common think is all these accolades and stars and prizes and and everybody building you up. But in actuality, you're saying the non-common sense credibility definition is really your personal story? Am I? Did I get that right? Well, the, yeah, apart from the word struggle, I've never struggled. Okay. There's never been a moment of struggle in my life. There was issues that I had to overcome, but there weren't struggles. I, I didn't see them as such anyway. Right, and, and that goes to later on about, which I'll bring that into later when you talk about negativity, because right. thoughts become words, words become things. So even if you're using the word struggle, then it's assuming it's a struggle, but I, I like that correction of an issue. Okay, so credibility has to do with the issues that you have an opportunity to experience throughout life. Is that correct? Yes, and when you talk about accolades and praises, a praise and an insult of the same imposter. Hmm. You shouldn't allow yourself to be taken in with either. Well, today's saint is tomorrow's sinner, especially in politics. Right. And tomorrow's sinner is today's uh, saint. So you're as good as the moment that you're doing stuff for people if you're out in the public eye and you get all these accolades. But whatever else is going on, you don't need that type of credibility if you want to be authentic. It's nice to have them if you get them. I'm not decrying them. Right. It's nice to get your rewards, your degrees, everything that you deem to be, as long as you're not taken in by it. I've got two grandchildren, and my one grandchild went to Cambridge. He did physics and mathematics. He got all his degrees. He passed his CPA test in 18 months. He's broken all the records in, in an incredible way. He's only still 25, yet I said to him when he went to Cambridge that before you're going to go to Cambridge, if you want me to help you, then you got to understand your education is only a tool. And all the accolades and rewards and money that you're going to get afterwards may be the icing on the cake, but it isn't the cake itself. The cake itself is to enjoy every moment or whatever job you're doing, and then you no need to call it a job. You can call it a love. 
and love of what you're doing. So when you love what you're doing, it's no longer a work. If I give a talk, it's a love of giving the talk. I love to give that talk. I won't give it unless I love to give that talk. That's why I refuse a lot. It's got to be a love and a joy combined so that that talk comes over in a very authentic way and people go home from it and have got something that they can live their whole life on as long as they're prepared to make the changes and put it into practice. Just hearing the talk or just reading my books will not do it. You've got to actually understand it after you read it or hear it and then do more research and then go out and live it. Unless you're living it, then what you have actually heard and it might sound pretty if you go to a nice pretty talk and it gills the lily and it inflates a person's ego, but that's not going to do it for that person. It might be okay for a short period of time, but after that, well, that's not going to work for them. <laughs> and my other grandchild, my granddaughter, who started playing the guitar at 14, was more academic than my grandson even, and went to the top girls' school. She left school at 16 and is now at Leeds Music Conservatory. And she's actually going out busking in the streets all the time. And she loves it. She's busking in London. She's busking all over the place. She gets gigs here and there. She writes all her own songs. She writes probably a song every single day. She just drop into her head. And she just won a big prize in London. Busking prize. Uh, the, had a big competition and she won that. So she's gone down a different route to my grandson. And she's following her joy and bliss in the world of music. And she could be a top um, lawyer. She could have been a top doctor. Her friends are all at Cambridge and Oxford and she goes to visit them. And she was top of the class. She got 10 A-star O-levels when she left school. She was, she was the top girl in the top school in, Man in England, actually. And she left that behind to follow her bliss in music. So there's two instances where somebody does it in a practical way, like my grandson, and he's doing very well with it. And then my granddaughter, who's doing it in a non-practical way. She's breaking all the rules and doing it in a way that's as natural as you can be. Like I was on the street markets, learning the philosophy of life from people who were talking to me. She's out in the streets, busking, learning from those people. So she's entertaining them, which is also learning from me. Right. And so the credibility is really not a matter of credibility or not. It's about just obeying yourself and it's about finding that joy. And it's not, doesn't need to be led by one outside verification or credibility from an outside validation, essentially. Okay. I like that. So, and for people who don't have those, you know, those accreditations or don't have those featured in, this should be inspiring for them because it's not what that's about. What it's about is finding a message that you're passionate about sharing so that whatever your proverbial in the street is could be on the stage, but you're sharing your stories. I like that. So moving on to this idea of truthfulness, because you talked about truthfulness. My question to you is about relative truth, because you mentioned there's what you learn in a book, that's knowledge, and then you talk about wisdom, but I have a circle around the word truthful because in my mind, there's relative truth. What's true for one person is maybe true for another person and somebody who's dogmatic, like they don't even care about truth. So how do you define truthfulness when it's relative at the end of the day? Very good. Well, there is relative truth. On earth, we live relative truths on a daily basis. We have gravity on earth and that's our truth here. But on other planets in different solar systems, there's no gravity. So it's a total different relative truth on that planet, if there's any life form on it or not. It's the whole of the universe is constructed in a way where there's absolute truth. And then when it's defined in some what you call creative form, it turns into a relative truth. And each person's relative truth is different. That's why as a speaker, you've got to appeal to a lot of people. You've got to understand that what you're saying is open to interpretation. And when a question is asked like yours, which is a great question, you've got to be able to answer it in an authentic way. So, yes, we live our, uh, these relative truths on a daily basis, but then there's an absolute truth. An absolute truth isn't privy to the intellectual mind. So our brain really can't explain 
what you call real truth in, in, in a real sense of the word, authentic truth. So, but having said that, every cell in our body works off authentic truth. It doesn't try and analyze it. It doesn't try and work things out analytically. It doesn't try and use an intellect to do it. What it uses is intelligence. And intelligence and intellect are close stablemates. But one's a hacker, the other one's a thoroughbred. Mm. So we learn with our intellect, but if it's not guided by our intelligence, which contains wisdom, then the intellect alone may ignore all its intelligence it's got and go and down its own route and just live its relative truths and keep banging its head against a brick wall all the time. It'll not get anywhere with it because they're only relative to that one person's head. And what's relative to one person isn't relative to another person. That's why we have wars, conflicts, because all these people think they know the truth. But none of that is true. The best book I wrote a few years ago was called Cutting Truths. And it's all about truth. It's all about defining truth and finding the common element that links us all as human beings and links us all to Mother Earth, to links us to every tree, to every blade of grass, to the ocean, and to every part of the universe. When we understand that authentic truth and that absolute truth, then we're able to be fed by it. And then we don't really have to question it too much. We still have to define it and make sure that we can define it in a way that is understandable for people. But our cells are living it. Your heart's beating. Your kidneys are functioning, your liver's functioning. We're not doing anything to do that. It's done by a master who's created, involved it, or evolved and created it. Whoever that master you deem that to be, or want to call it by chance, whatever label you want to put on it. But it's there, and we live it all the time in our body. And if, if they, one minute, all this authentic truth within our body, in our body cells, and there's billions of body cells, if they all of a sudden stop living that truth, we're dead. We no longer exist. So we're living every moment with absolute truth. And unless we understand that, then what we're going to be doing is feeding our body the wrong types of foods, the wrong kind of diets, fad diets. None of them work. It's only what your body will accept. And if you understand what your body wants and what it will accept, there's no need to go on these fad diets. Gotcha. So it is truth. It is a relative truth, but there's truth in relative truth, but there is absolute truth. And so it's the combination of, of being aware of that to actually find your, you know, what is truthful for you. So this is a great transition to my next question. When it comes to you're talking about practical and logic and reason, because I love this. I talk about this all the time, right? Do you use, is it story or logic? And, you know, I forget who said it, but the brain is not a, yes, it's a logic processor, but it really likes stories. So my question to you is, if it were logical and if X equaled Y, everybody would be doing it. Everybody would have the roles by the time they're 25. My question is, does that tie into the reality of the 80-20 principle, the Pareto principle, to where people think that inputs equal outputs, but in actuality, there's very few inputs that yield massive outputs. And is it a matter of finding the right things to invest in for this multiplier effect, and it, does that tie into it? Because I do believe that there are practically things and logical things. If you do this, if you create a sales funnel, logically, you're going to get more clients into your, your course or into whatever it is. But within that logic, at least personally, I've done a lot of research around the 80-20 principle, and I'm curious how that ties into it. Is it that people aren't doing the right practical things or is it just all that logic nonsense and it's really the anti-common sense that you're talking about? I'm curious your thoughts on that. Well, you've done a lot of studying, so you, you actually know what you're talking about and that's excellent. It's not quite on that kind of wavelength because it depends what you want to leave behind. What kind of footprint do you want to leave on earth? Do you want to be learned? And I'm not and I'm not criticizing people who are learning or education or any of that field. There's a necessity for it. And you said it's a tool. You, you already said that education is a tool in its own right, which is totally fine. 
So it's all necessary in its own way. But if you want to leave a legacy behind that people will understand and be able to live throughout their life, in my subject matter, or whatever people are doing, then you need to find something within that scope of logic and reason that you've got to put logic and reason over. Well, I'm talking to you. I'm using a form of logic and reason so that you can understand it. Right. <laughs> to understand that. So that is your intellect, our intellectual side of our brain. We're analyzing it. We're understanding to a degree what somebody is saying, but without further research in something that's really authentic, because you're not going to learn that stuff overnight. It's something that takes maybe just like, say, with a diet. If you wanted to change your taste buds and want to go dairy-free, well, you don't do it overnight. You might take six months to do it, and you do a slow process of having, if you have, say, cheese every day, then you have it every other day. Then you'd have it every three days, every five days, every week. And over a period of, say, six months, you might only have it once a month. And then you wean yourself off it slowly. And that way, you've slowly changed your taste buds and you won't go back to them. Because once you get rid of the taste of, oh, like, geez, it's just fat and salt. So once you get rid of those tastes, and it's one of the worst things you can eat, dairy products. <laughs> so once you start to get rid of that um, kind of indoctrination when you were growing up, you thought, wow, you've got to drink milk for calcium. Not true. You get your calcium from greens, from colour greens and from the earth. The kind of uh, actual calcium that you get from dairy products actually bleaches, bleaches the calcium out of your bones because it takes uh, alkaline to digest the acidity of the milk. So that's scientific fact now. So you got to research science too. You know, like I said, when I do a talk, it's got to be because there's scientists in the audience. Right. And there's also religious people in the audience. I wouldn't be credible unless I said things that were actually relative truthful to what they've learned. So the relative truth comes into it. But you notice I never mention the word belief. Because the word belief has three little letters in the middle. L-I-E. <laughs> and every single war that's ever gone on has been through two differing belief systems. You see, beliefs might have a modicum of truth in them, but it isn't truth itself. So just to lock yourself into a belief system without researching it and finding the truth of it, then we are like Plato living in a cave and we're talking to shadows. We're not seeing the outside world as it really is. I love that. And the outside world is a constant change in dynamics. Yeah, and a lot of people are doing what they just hear or what they read or what they see. And this is what we initially talked about. Like, what is the common the common thread of what you see? What is trending and what's there? And if you invest your time in that, it's not necessarily going to yield results, although you want to believe that's the case. And this really, this really moves me to my next year. I have a lot of questions, but uh, this one I really want to hit. And normally we have a whole section of the talk where we where we talk about how to get on stage, but you already covered that. You pretty much said, I don't worry about getting on stage. Everybody comes and talks to me. So <laughs> I love we're skipping that section. But when it comes to this idea of beliefs and you talk about negativity, this is something that I'm passionate about, right? Negative talk and you're limiting yourself by the thoughts that you think becomes the words that you speak. And at least the last couple of years, I've really been into studying confirmation bias. So I'm curious, your thoughts from your experience, how powerful is confirmation bias both ways when it comes to this? You know, you talk about negativity breeds negativity. In the same respect, do you find and believe that the positivity really breeds positivity and that your brain has confirmation bias that seeks these out? And if that's the case, like, how powerful is that? Is that really the root of your success as a speaker is, you know, believe it and it'll happen? Because common sense kind of says that's cheesy and that that's that's a little bit esoteric. So I'm curious your thoughts on confirmation bias when it comes to the root of success to set yourself up. Well, positivity and negativity is not something that you can use to change your mind. Okay. That's what people tell you all the time. That's the common knowledge. I want the uncommon knowledge from you. Right. That's what I'm saying. So if you look at a glass of water, 
And people say, well, that's half a glass there, it's half full or it's half empty. Well, a positive person will say, oh, it's half full. A negative person will say, it's half empty. Well, if you want confirmation, then you can't get it from that glass of water because if you say it's half full, you don't know if it's full of toxic stuff. Mm. So you might be thinking you're positive, but it might be full of toxicity. It might be not something that you need to swallow or it could do you a lot of harm. And that's what it is with our thought process. When people start to learn things as you're growing up and your mind becomes conditioned, then those reference points stay with you for life. Now, we live in a disposable society, but what most people can't rid is the negativity of what they've grown up with and they've locked themselves into a prison. So people throughout their life are living in what their own prison camps that they've erected for themselves, not knowingly, not as though they understand how it's come about, but they're locked into that mindset. And there's very few places on earth where you can learn how to get out of that. You go to the seminars for people who are motivational and are inspirational, and they'll talk about positivity and negativity, and people go home, oh, I've got it now. I've learned the secret. Right. <laughs> thinking it's going to happen. Well, it's not quite like that. Because if you just think it and it's going to happen, well, uh, you're being for a big shock. It might not be happening. You're having the wrong types of expectations. So there is positivity and negativity charges throughout the universe. A battery works with negative and positive. And unless you, get, you put them together, you don't get electronic charge from it and you don't get any power. So there is power from negative and positive energy, but the intelligent energy is neither negative nor positive. It is what it is. It's true. So by not focusing on either the positive or the negative, but just trying to be in the middle saying, yes, that's a glass of water. I'm not going to answer further, Your Honor. <laughs> that keeps you... I'm not quite. I mean, I'm only giving you a tip of the surface on this stuff. Right, right. You know, I'm not going to go into deep deeper kind of stuff because that's in my books and if people want to read it fine if they want me as a speaker yeah yeah people when people ask me a deeper question and go a little bit deeper on that but this is a general topic talk on speaking and getting your message across to your audience and how your speakers who are on your world of speakers which you're doing a phenomenal service for people by the way ryan thanks you're one of the few out there that is a real on the uh, uh, vanguard who's doing something really special for other people and you'll find that you will be rewarded at certain stages in your life when you're doing things in an authentic way because when we human beings do things in a way because that's the way we want it to do and we do it in a different way than anybody else which is what you're doing and you're doing it in a new media with this um, zen um, thing that we're on <laughs> Zencaster, yeah. Zencasting, yes, I've never seen that before. No downloading of any software or anything. You found a fantastic niche in that. And you're doing something very, very special for people. So a lot of speakers can learn from listening to different speakers that you will be interviewing in different ways. But more often than not, when I listen to a lot of speakers, um, on maybe on a cruise or something like that, I find out that that's not what I want to be doing. You know, uh, there's a great uh, Holly Speech specialist that was speaking on a cruise. And I went to his first talk, and it was all against natural ways of living. But I didn't go to anymore, apart from the last one. And his headline was Natural Herbs. So I went on to listen to what he was saying about that. And it was right what he was saying, but the way he said it was wrong. And that's, again, when you, it all depends. It's not what we say, it's how we say it. So he's telling people, all the downside of having natural herbs and all natural ways of um, eating before you have a major operation because you need drugs and those herbs and stuff will interfere with the drugs. Well, he's right what he's saying. So if I was giving the talk, I would be telling people of the kind of foods that they can eat so they don't have to have an operation in the future. You can alleviate the stress on the body. You can alleviate the stress on the mind. And as they go through life, they're not going to get sick because health is a choice. And most people will deny that because they want to live the way they want to live. People think red wine's okay. No, any alcohol is doing damage to your cells in your body. 
And science has just proven, a new scientific study came out only a month or so ago, and it said exactly that, that all forms of alcohol, including red wine, is bad for your system. And this is the biggest extensive study that's ever been done on people consuming alcohol. Now, obviously, it's been hidden. I only saw it once in the media, and it completely disappeared. So you've got very strong lobbies with the alcoholic beverage people and the meat marketing people. Even Oprah couldn't help people when it comes to meat eating meat. They shut her up. So there's massive lobbies everywhere today. And there's many restrictions on people finding those relative truths of what they need so they can find the absolute truths so they can live in an absolute form. And it brings back to what we were initially talking about, which is this common knowledge. And sometimes you don't realize that common knowledge is influenced by these lobbyists, by these groups, by these influencers and whatnot. So at the end of the day, you can be speaking on a topic that you're an expert, but you can still be misinforming people because you're picking up a solution that's further down the line when it could be, essentially. Excellent. Spot on. That is, I'll say a nutshell. Well, I, I mean, spot on would be if we had another couple of days to hang out and talk. And, and I'm sure that I'll connect with you after this to pick your brain a little more and, and work through these 16 books and probably number 17 when you're done writing it. But this has been an absolute pleasure. I've, I've really enjoyed the stimulating conversation. Every cell in my body now understands its absolute truth. And just even what I'm doing with this, I, I'm just authentically trying to learn from people and share it with others. And I'm excited to see when that pays full fruition later on in life, however it pays out. But right now, this is my truth, just being excited about meeting and learning and honing in my craft and helping others do that. So I'm really excited. Uh, and I hope that this helps to get a lot of other people on your radar. And for those people listening, we did skip an entire section about how Michael says to get on stage. But if you missed it, here it is. Don't worry about that. Let people come to you. And that's by doing what you do the best. And that's your absolute truth by being credible in your life experiences through the issues that you faced understanding that really you are conditioned to some extent, but you've got to uncondition the conditioning in order to really make an impact so that you're not giving people relative truths that will lead them the wrong way. So Michael, if people were going to find you or your books, where, where do I send them? Where do we point them to so they can learn more? Well, my website is pointoflife.com and there's a link there to the books and if you go to the purchase page on it, that takes them to Amazon. They don't publish all around the world. But like I say, I don't advertise, so people will have a hard job finding them. <laughs> Excellent. And then on Twitter, where are you on Twitter? Because that's a great place for people to connect. At Michael Levy. At Michael Levy. I'm, I'm on LinkedIn too, so they can contact me through LinkedIn. Um, you know, I'm also a poet. And along with any real f- good philosophy, any true philosophers, and ones of the past too, need poetry as an avenue to be able to explain some of the things that we're talking about. And if you want, we can end the interview on a poem if you want, or however you want to end. Absolutely. Now, my question is, is it a haiku? (laughs) I've got some haikus, but... um, I'm a big haiku kind of guy. I love the structure. The 575 put me in a box, man, and I'm going to kick my way out. But but yes, I would love to end on a piece of poetry from you, sir. So so take it away or, or just riff it. Ultraviolet Haiku Delights is a book I've written a load of haikus in. There's about 250 haikus in that book. So, but, but not your normal type of haikus, as you can imagine. Yeah. But so many poems that would be relevant to today's conversation. But I think one that would stand out would be um, Humankind, How Limitless Ingenious. Playful inspirations kindle figments of the baby's first hello, brightening in a flawless cosmos that only purity and virtue know. Picturesque clarity grace the mind's vivid and sightful rainbow, as time fashions just a brief but fascinating finite show. Indeed, if even if every new beginning develops sadness, True joy will adjourn the shower of sorrow to replace it with a canopy of gladness. Those of spirited laughter illuminate all the candles of elegance. Symphonic enchanted harps pleasingly orchestrate a divine sacred dance.
indoctrination of a lover's music plays on celestial violins. Secrets that in dreams linger, concealed within the keys of silent hymns. The amour of sweet shadows float gently beyond the universal sleep, obscure and deep, all have profound promises to keep. The wheels of nature's textured bounty will still go on turning. Unique gifts convey the beautiful wonderment of creation. What an opus of craftsmanship is humankind. How magnificent in foundation. How limitless in genius. Wow, bam. I was I had closed my eyes. I was the I was in the audience as you were reading that in, in Carnegie Hall on a loudspeaker as it just reverberated through my brain. That was great. I don't think we could have ended it in any other way that would have been the authentic absolute truth for this show today. So Michael, I want to thank you so much. This has been a blast. My pleasure. Thank you, Ryan. And remember, if you listen to this coming back, you I didn't have one. Um uh uh <laughs> Yes. I love it. And that is a lesson for everyone. It can happen. It is possible to not um it up. <laughs> there you go. Excellent. All right. Well, thank you, Michael. Everybody, if you enjoyed this, definitely leave a review. I mean, this is one that you need to share with people. It's almost melodic. It is very, it's going to feed your soul and it's going to feed the souls of your friends. So leave a review on this, share it, like it, tweet it out, Facebook it out, get it out in the world because more people need to hear this especially the last part about not umming it up. All right, my name is Ryan. You obviously know that. And uh, I'm excited to continue to share with you an amazing group of people who comprise the world of speakers. Check out the next episode, subscribe, and we will see you soon. Adios, Michael, for once and all. Until we meet again. (laughs) 